Hello, my name is Josh, and welcome to a special episode of A Conversation with Tiki. It's a podcast where we talk about movies, comics, and everything in between. Sadly, Jamie will not be with us as she is out dancing with the pale moonlight. But instead, we have on a special guest. Please give a warm welcome to editor Lyra Hale. Hale, uh, say hi, Lyra. Hi, for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. And as the two of us talk about Batman 89, or rather 1989's Batman. And what do you do for a living? Lieutenant, is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? Nice outfit. You look fine. I didn't ask. I have given a name to my pain. What are you? I'm Batman. Where did he get those wonderful toys? My life is really complex. Winged freak terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. You can also find our back catalog on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts are listened to. All right. So, so Lyra, uh, first off, I just want to say thank you for coming on. I'm um, First off, I'm really a big fan of your work. And second of all, I've been trying to get you on for months. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Thank You're, a busy you. You're a busy lady. You're a busy lady. For the audience, uh, can you please describe yourself and like um, just, you know, uh, what, you, what you do and stuff? As an editor? I am a big dork, big geek. Uh, I love TV, movies, books. I, If I can nerd out on something, it's great. I I write, um, I podcast a little bit on the side myself. And I'm just excited to be talking to you about something that has been in my life forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm... I'm excited to talk to you about this movie because, um, you know, we're getting a new Batman. We're getting a new Batman movie, which one of us has seen. I'm not going <laughs> to say which. And also, like, uh, for in 48 hours, um, I I'm, I'm really excited for this movie. And like, I just. <sighs> but we're not talking about that. We're not going to talk about we're, we're not going to talk about that. We might talk about other Batman. But we're going to talk about the movie that started this franchise. Uh, 1989's Batman. Uh, synopsis reads, having witnessed his parents' brutal murder as a child, William Bruce Wayne, played by Michael Keane, fights crime in Gotham City, disguised as Batman, a costume hero who strikes the fear in the hearts of villains. But when the four madmen who calls himself the Joker, played by Jack Nicholson, seizes control of Gotham City, Batman is killed. Batman is the four madmen who calls himself the Joker, played by Jack Nicholson, seizes control of Gotham's criminal underworld. Batman must face his roof, his most ruthless enemy ever, while also protecting his identity and love interest of Vicky Vale, played by Kim Bing Singer. So, question. Um, 
what's your first experience but with Batman and with this film with it both simultaneously or did you like experience Batman first in like the pop culture sphere and then the film uh Michael Keaton was my first introduction to Batman my mom obsessed with Michael Keaton Mm -hmm. um and my mom is not the best person but she has given me some great things in my life and an appreciation for Michael Keaton's work is core to that and I just I remember being so enthralled by it you know Danny Elfman's music and then Tim Burton it it just yeah it set a precedent for my life and a lot of the things that I like now yeah for me um I have a weird relationship because I I obviously knew who Batman was because of the pop culture sphere uh, and, and mainly um, thanks to like some of the cartoons and stuff. I think I saw Zub's, the um, Sub-Zero animated movie um, years, years before I wind up seeing Batman 89, which is what I'm going to kind of call it um, for, for viewers because it just, it helps me a little bit. But when it comes to Batman 89, um, my first introduction to this movie was, I think, on cable. I think it was on AMC. And I think they were playing both this and Batman Returns simultaneously. Yeah. So it was mostly that. And... I, I have to say in like rewatch and just and we'll get it and we'll be getting into this movie um, bit by bit. I you know this movie especially when it comes to like um, Bat portrayal to Batman. My first introduction to Batman was Michael uh, not Michael but Bale but Christian Bale and the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, really? Yeah, like I have a whole story in which um, I had some Christmas money. I think this was Christmas of two thousand eight. I had some Christmas money and I went over to uh, the now defunct. Hollywood video. I don't know if you guys had that. Oh, it's all blockbuster life for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had blockbuster, but also like we went to Hollywood video because that was probably closer. I don't know. We had like one blockbuster left in our area because they were just dying at that point. I remember having uh, like my mom, she bought the VHS for it. And this was like years and years after it came out and she was obsessed. I still remember mm-hmm. the cover with like the yellow... Mm-hmm like that symbol in the front i like with nicholson and keaton keaton yeah. and stuff and yeah no that that's a pretty cool cover um but yeah no um from so you went to hollywood video i went, got to, hollywood, it. I went to hollywood thank you thank you by the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway so i went to hollywood video i got it um and the thing was was that i actually had a choice to uh purchase one movie i could purchase two it was between the dark knight and Eagle Eye. Remember that Shia LaBeouf movie? Yeah. I, I had a choice between that and I couldn't get both. I only could choose one. <laughs> I chose Batman and I don't regret that choice. Good choice. Yeah. Because <laughs> I watched Eagle Eye and it was not good. I I, I have a... I, I need to rewatch it because all I remember was that it was very much like a 2008 version of Enemy of the State. Yes. Um, which is a very interesting movie, mind you. I just, I had to rewatch it for work. Anyways, anyways, but uh, so like I watched it and I, and I'm, I think I wore that DVD out because it was such a good movie. And keep in mind, I was only like eight or nine years old at the time. Yeah. So like, it was like, it was like mind blowing and stuff. And also in front of that movie was a preview for Watchmen, which had yet to come out. Yeah. For Zack Snyder's Watchmen. So that was, uh, and it, and, it, and it had like the Smashing Pumpkins cover, which is has a weird connection with um, Batman and Robin because it's the same. The end of the beginning is the beginning of the end or something like that. I, it's a Smashing Pumpkins song, but it's like a slow down version of.
Smashing Pumpkins song. Yeah. But yeah, no, so it, it always kind of enthralled me and stuff. But either way, but yeah, no, like when it comes to Batman, you know, those are my like first experience. And like, I think I saw Batman 89 when I was like year, again, I saw Batman 89 when, years later and stuff. So yeah, so this character has always kind of propelled me and stuff. And like, he's a very interesting character and a character that seriously needs a considerable amount of therapy. <laughs> yes, please. Bring them into therapy. I mean, I, therapy could be used for all the superheroes, like mm-hmm. all the superheroes. I know I was scrolling through through Twitter the other day and someone brought up a conversation about uh, a comic book where they got therapy and everything in like movies that are actually out now uh, that they never happened. And I'm like, yeah, none of this would have happened if these people had therapy. And that includes... DC, Marvel, like any of the verses. Yeah, yeah, no, de- definitely. And I feel like, and I feel like they need, it, it's like on both sides, both the heroes and villains kind of need therapy, but yeah. like, but like with villains, they would get core mandated therapy. <laughs> yes, mandated. Yes, yes. Anyways, but let's get on to, um, Bat- let's get on to Batman 89 real quick. And the way we open this movie is with that amazing Danny Elfman score. Like, it just gets you pumped. And I just... Ah. <laughs> like, I, like, don't get me wrong. I love the Hans Zimmer. I love the Hans Zimmer theme. Um, but, like, Danny Elfman. Yeah, there's just something so classic about it that when, when you hear it, you are instantly transported back to that movie and you're transported into a place that is so just uniquely Batman. And Hans is fantastic but there's something so niche about danny and he just he he, you know how when you experience something that complements something so well Mm -hmm. tim burton and danny elfman just are made for each other Mm -hmm. yeah and then yeah and just and yeah no i i completely agree with you on that and also like this is the reason why danny elfman would later be doing stuff like the score for sam raimi spider-man Stuff, yeah, which is also another iconic score and stuff. But yeah, no, Danny Elfman's score for Batman is just ah, wah, wah. <laughs> just kiss. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then we get a look at Gotham City, which I'm not gonna lie. Um, and okay, I'm curious if you could comment on this because I know you're a bit older than me and stuff. But it's just, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I I just I have to ask. Like when I when like when we look at Gotham City, I feel like it's essentially 80s in the New York mixed in with a gothic setting. Am I wrong on that? I mean, I was, well, I mean, I, how do I say this without like giving too much information about myself? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I never visited New York until like late teens. And I, I mean, I wasn't even alive in the eighties, so okay. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, I could just go by, like, I, I like watching documentaries and lately I've been watching some New York city ones and it it's like a darker grittier version because i mean the the 70s were very Mm -hmm. 70s and 80s were very sex charged in new york city um but it's just 
like that first shot that you get of like the buildings in mm-hmm. Batman uh, 89. It's yeah. it's over the top. It's noir. It's like it, it's mm-hmm. really, really gothic. Mm-hmm. And it's super, super cheesy. And I guess the, the fashion, the fashion is definitely 80s because I love watching mm-hmm. 80s movies. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the, yeah. It's, it's really, really gritty. And I feel like that grittiness and the way that they've built Gotham has carried on into every iteration afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we get a lot from like cartoons and the things that came before 89. But like, I feel like this was a staple on how other people would model their Gothams. Yeah. And I, I want to give thanks to that to um, Anton Faust, who brought, who Burton brought on after Beetlejuice. Um, and he's, he essentially described it as we imagine New York City might have become without a planning commission with also like Brazil being a major influence. Terry really? Gilliam, Brazil. So I, I, I was deeply shocked at that because I did not, because I was like, oh, wow, okay. I can see the New York City without a planning commission with Brazil. Yeah, I, did, did he elaborate on what parts of Brazil, like what favelas and stuff like that? Um, no, but when I did my research and when I do do my, do my due diligence research, um, he did mention that it was an influence and like he, Burton saw him was like, you know, let's, let's try to pick out some of this. And I imagine like some of the, like the weird dystopian sort of feel, because okay. let's be honest, Gotham City is a fucking dystopian. Yeah, dystopian, it's, um, it's very it's dystopian. It's, it's very dark. It's very like, even in that, like you have the shot of this, everybody coming out of this theater you know mm-hmm. the, the kid and the parents mm-hmm. and it looks like it'd be a well-off area but there's all these quote-unquote criminals and homeless people and hookers and stuff like that right nearby in the town center mm-hmm. and it's kind of shocking in, in a manner and mm-hmm. why would you go down some creepy alley like that like i just i can't get over it i like, i, I- I, I was like, Harold, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> I, why are you doing this? Why, why are you doing this, Harold? And then that leads us into Michael Keaton's Batman. And the way he glides down is like a hammer horror movie villain. Oh my God, yeah. So creepy. You know he had to be like strung up and it was so smooth when he came down. Yeah. And smooth and dramatic. Yeah, and like just the way he also delivers I'm Batman just feels like a mission statement to protest yeah. um, against the against the people who like were against having him have the role, which especially the fans who were like just, uh, I just irritates the fuck out of me when that ever happens. I mean, uh, and especially given that like Warner was, was trying to get burned to like have like an action star for Christ's sake, like folks like Mel Gibson, yeah. Kevin Costner, Charlie Sheen, Tom Selleck, Mur- Bill Murray, I'll get into Bill Murray in a little bit. Harrison Ford, Dennis Quaid were all considered, as well as like people like Pierce Bronson. And contrary to popular belief, and I didn't know this at the time, but Willem Dafoe was in consideration, which is interesting. Really? Dafoe is so talented. I, I know, I know. But he, here's the thing. People thought that for a while he actually was in consideration for the Joker. But he was actually, but having him as Batman just... Like, that would have like, been wild. That, that would have been wild. And we'll get into the Joker in a second, but... I want to talk about a cast scene that was supposed to happen. Lando, I mean Billy, Billy D. Williams. And yeah. we don't. I'm I know we essentially got him as a voice in the Lego Bat movie, and that's great. But I'm really uh, I, I I'm really hoping that that payout in the 90s for yeah. Bat, for Batman Forever, as he was supposed as they essentially like wanted Tommy Lee Jones to be like, okay, we'll just pay Billy D Billy D out his contract. 
because he signed a contract for three movies and they were going to, and like, they were going to bring him back. But when they switched directors and stuff, they wanted Tommy Lee Jones and, and uh, yeah. Um, Boring. Yeah. And like, and look, Tommy Lee Jones is great and all, but like, it just, he's not as great as, um, you know, he's not as great I mean, as Bill, Bill. He's not as great as Lando Calrissian is what I'm trying to say. I mean, what was, was Billy busy? Because I never got into that for the research. Was he just busy doing other like great work or what happened? I, I think it's more of like, well, I'll get into this a little bit later, but like, okay. you got to remember also by that time, um, Burton was out. Yeah. Burton was out. And I think they were trying to scrub any, like any remains of the, like the Burton films. And that yeah. included the casting and stuff, which again, I'm. It's just, it's a damn shame because Billy D. Williams, he is so fucking smooth. And yeah. Are we dead? And like, I really want to like see how he we went into Two Face. But let's get in. But continue on the casting. We also we after that we get to meet Jack Napier, aka the Joker, played by Jack Nicholson. Who? Yeah. I I'm just gonna say this right now. I Mark Hamill. Heath Ledger and to a certain extent Alan Tudyk from um, I don't know where you, did you ever see the um, Harley Harley Quinn animated series that's on HBO yes. Max? Okay, yeah, those are my top three. Um, right. Those are my top three. Um, I I love I love all of them. Nicholson would be would be number four, and right. I I think he's fine. I I think he's fine. It's just I'll get into it a little bit later, but I'm kind of I feel like when it comes to Nicholson, it's just it's. I feel like essentially he's kind of just playing Jack and it also just might be the writing and the way that they do the character. But I feel like, I don't know, but also some of these other choices and I, and I looked and in my research, I found like what the other choices were for the role and the other choices. Um, and this is a huge shocker, Tim Curry, David Bowie, Jeff Goldblum, James Woods, Donald Sutherland, Jeff Lifkow, Brad Dorff, Robert Englund, Robert De Niro, Alan Rickman, Ray Lilletta, John Malkovich and Christopher Lloyd were all. God, gone. imagine Alan Rickman. That oh. would have been wild. I would have been cheering for the Joker, like <laughs> yeah. Alan Rickman. Yeah, that voice alone, I would have been like, okay. Yeah, and do you also- want to dance in the light of the pale moon? Yes, I do. With you, Alan Rickman. <laughs> I don't know. I always liked him. I mean, I was horrified by those prosthetics on his face. Jack Nicholson's Joker, mm-hmm. horrified. Um, and it must have been such a pain to have those be put on your face every single day and having to work with it. It must have been ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but there was there was something so cartoonish about him. Like he, when he enters the museum and he puts prints on and he's dancing and like messing up all these paintings. Yeah. Has this dinner, his costume, or even like when he's trying to escape from Batman at the end and he's got a helicopter, a specially made helicopter with his face on it. And it's super cheesy. It's yeah. not meant to be taken seriously at all. Um, even though he just murdered all those people in the museum. Yeah. Um yeah, or tried to kill Bruce. Like he, I feel like he totally surprised me. And I feel like he is amazing. Yeah. Snatched. Yeah. Like if it would be number one for seriousness, it would be him. But if we're talking funny, maybe comic book or like cartoon joker, it would definitely be Jack for me. Yeah. And it's, yeah, and it's also yeah, and I and I I don't know, I, I think that might have been my thing with Joker. 
with this yeah. version of Joker because I'm used to like because I could handle like Hamill and Tudyk and Ledger, but I also think those three have probably influenced my taste when it comes to Joker. Those yeah. are probably my big three. Yeah, my big three. Whereas like other people see like Nicholson or even uh, Troy Baker. Um, we won't acknowledge the um existence of a certain other Joker on on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> on this podcast um but yeah also um guess who burton originally wanted who john glover for and for those that don't know who he is he's lyle luther on smallville really yeah but the studio wanted movie star and apparently robin williams lobbied hard for the part and that leads us to nicholson who was the studio's top choice but he was unsure so they did this kind of fucked up thing. Uh, they went back to Williams and offered it to him. And then when they went back to Nicholson, they told them that that if he doesn't take it, Williams will. And then and so Nicholson took the road and Williams was released. And essentially Williams resented by being used as bait and not only refused to play the Riddler in Batman Forever, but also refused to be involved with any Warner Brothers production until the studio apologized, which I think is a baller move because... Um, yeah, uh, fuck the producers for doing that. And you want to know who the producers are? John, I have a giant spider fetish, Peters and, and Peter Cooper. And for those that don't know about John Peters and his giant spider fetish, I highly recommend you check out the documentary, uh, What Happened to Superman, um, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? It's a really great insight into an unmade Superman movie that is bonkers. And that was actually written by Kevin Smith. Uh, and, and that he, the man has a giant spider fetish, which he was finally able to have in Wild Wild West. Ew. And I just, yeah, no, and I just, I, I don't know why he just, uh, but either way, yeah. Some uh, people. Some, some, some people. And like, he was obsessed <laughs> with that. And like, and there's a whole bunch of things, especially with Superman lives, but we're not about to talk about Superman, we're talking about Batman. That, uh, that just, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I, I could go i could go on forever about this man because this man is kind of insane and not gonna lie the one and probably the only best part of licorice pizza in my personal opinion don't at me oh licorice pizza yeah yeah that, that movie anyways back to batman and then following this we meet probably my favorite character in the movie and like i'm kind of surprised that this character ca- didn't catch on um robert wool's alexander knox i'm blanking out and I just watched it. He was the, like the reporter buddy. Oh yeah, yeah, and like it's whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I think for me it's just like he has like a kind of like a sort of like schmucks attitude, and also like um, that means that he can be a bit of a dick, especially like when Bruce kind of comes in the picture. But the fact that he also looks like eighties Tom, Tom Hanks is like is 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 just is off. It's is like interesting and stuff. But like also like I'm, am I right on like um. With him looking like 80s Tom Hanks? I think so. I mean, like, 80s Tom Hanks is iconic. It's the... I, I remember, like, thinking, is he cute? Am mm. I watching, like, big as an adult for, like, the first time? Is he cute? Were people cute like this in the 80s? I don't know. Yeah. I And I... When did I first see Big? I saw Big when I was 10. When I was, like... When I was really little. So, like... Which, for anybody in the 80s, it's like, oh, how dare Lyra question the 80s? You know, like... As as generations go and you look back, like what's hot now is going to be looked at by the next generation. Like that was cute. It's, it's going to happen to everybody. Yeah, it, it happens to everybody. Anyways, and then we get into secret reporters. 
Then we get into Vicky Vale. And originally yeah. Spawn, Sean Young was supposed to play her, but had to bow out due to a horseback incident. Oh, I, yeah, and like, which is, okay. This thing is weirdly referenced. Like when Alfred is talking to um, Vicky and Bruce, Bruce afterward, uh, after like dinner and something, he's like telling like how he tried to give like Bruce how to like ride a horse and stuff, but it doesn't, but it didn't go well. And like, it's, I don't know, it was weird. And I don't know if this was in the script prior I imagine it probably was, and then it was just a coincidence that the incident would happen, but either way. A lot way, of coincidence. Yeah. Either but, way. And then, yeah. And then you're going to be shocked at this. The, okay. Because of Sean Young, um, because of Sean Young, and um, so because of Sean Young not being able to do it, so she was actually going to be a replacement. Cause, so, okay. And you actually need to do a little backtracking here. So Kim Basinger was the actually first choice for Vicky Vale. She was the first choice. However, they kind of waited to make her an offer. So much so that it was just like, so much so that like when they tried to originally, it was like, I can't do it. So Sean Young, Sean Young was supposed to do it. Then the horseback incident happens. Then the second choice is Michelle Pfeiffer. My baby. But, and she was considered, but Keaton was dating her at the time. Beautiful. And like, and and yes, Batman did, did, did date Catwoman at one time in the 80s. Look it up. But this was Nick's as like Keaton was trying to get back with his ex-wife. Damn. And then this, and then that leads to Kim, pretty much them calling up Kim Bangs and be like, hey, can you do this? Uh, and we need an answer yes or no. And be like, I'll 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 be on a plane to set. I'm not gonna lie. Michelle Pfeiffer did such an amazing job as Catwoman that I forgot about Vicky mm-hmm. until I rewatched this. <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah, she happened. She was there. She was. Oh, side note. I passed by a interview. Um, I think it was on TikTok or whatever, but you could definitely look it up on YouTube where someone was interviewing Michelle Pfeiffer and she prepared for the interview and she had the whip that she used in Catwoman. She had it in her closet, brought it out and started whipping it to see if she could crack it. The queer person inside of me was living. I was like, this is why I am the way I am. Thank you, Michelle Pfeiffer. I, I, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is, she is Michelle Pfeiffer. And like, I think for everyone, regardless of asexuality, gender, et cetera, it does something to people. It did something to people, but I, <laughs> Fuck! I'm gonna watch Batman. <laughs> I think I'm gonna. I, I think someone's gonna watch Batman Returns later. Yeah, just like watch your scenes on repeat and. Yeah. Anyways, mm-hmm. yeah. I know anyway. she's a bad guy, but. Yes. Who cares? <laughs> Anyways, this leads us into um, first, finally, us meeting Bruce um, Bruce Wayne, and I feel like he in kind of plays his character, especially the Bruce Wayne side of things, very casually, like a very everyman. Like you don't expect this guy to be Bruce Bruce Wayne, but yeah. he just does, and also just him with the hair and like he looks with so the cat- fluffy hair. Like nowadays he's bald, but like with hair, and it's just like he looks so damn young. Oh my God, so young. And he's still uh, talking about him being, you know, bald. Or I think he like buzzes it down because he's mm-hmm. definitely balding. Um, but he still kicks ass. He did this movie called The Prodigy. And I was like, you still got it. 
and he was talking about like working on you know batman 89 and like working out to get you know into shape for the suit Mm -hmm. and stuff like that um and that uh jack nicholson passed by him was like what are you doing why are you doing this like oh i'm working out and jack was like but why and then michael realized like why is he doing this? He's going to be wearing a suit. And as we know, that suit has like padding and mm-hmm. muscle shapes and stuff like that. Or famously nipples. That, that, that's, that, that's later. That's later on. That's later. But like you could tell, I mean, he was definitely young, definitely had to get in shape because walking around in that suit has, it has to be hard. It has to be heavy. And he probably was so happy when he was walking around and in a suit and just being casual and playing Mm -hmm. Bruce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, yeah. And also back to Jack Nicholson real quick. Uh, This leads us into Axis Chemicals and the Perfect Joker. And like the the amount of money that they get, that they, that the studio gave Jack Nicholson is almost kind of ridiculous because essentially he made, um, like he was like his usual salary was about ten million. They he yeah. set the salary of six, and then he had a clause that would say that he would take a percentage of the earnings of merchandise. Oh damn! And he made over fifty million overall, which in today's money, if you just for inflation, it's about a hundred million plus. My God, give me that money! Give me one million! Like <laughs> I like it's kind of I can't imagine people making this kind of money. Like what is going on? I mean, didn't RDJ like make over like seventy million? He probably did. But but he probably uh, did. Yeah, but oh wow, I just realized Nicholson made more than RDJ. Holy shit! Sorry, yeah. I'm having this massive realization now at the moment, and it's one of those things where you have to make sure you look through your contract that you make long lasting investments, and he kind of had that little clause there that I'll make. What is, it, what is it? A percentage of earnings? Yeah, percentage merchandise. Of mm-hmm. um, he was investing in this character um, and putting his all into it, and it paid off. I, I, I imagine that's probably why he was like, probably gave Nicholson the look of um, Keaton. I mean, Keaton the look of like, why are you exercising? Isn't this a paycheck for you as well? Yeah, because there is a there is a there is a little bit of that I noticed, but like he's still committed. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't know if I was, <laughs> I mean, I still would be, I mean, personally for me, if I was getting that, that money, I'd be committed, but also like, I would be kind of aware of be like, I am getting about 6 million on this and, and a percentage of the money. And I, <laughs> there's a reason why he's retired now, probably retired. Yeah. I uh, have to do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anything. God, I'm jealous. I'm jealous as well. Just reading that. I'm just like, oh, fuck. Anyway, so we follow the Joker. He's made um, for for a bit, and then we got mixed in with Knox and Vicky doing some investigative reporting, and then we see the Joker attacks attack the city using cosmetics, which forces the news anchors of all things to stop using makeup, and their faces get worse and worse. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ! Horrifying. As someone who likes makeup and is currently wearing dark lipstick, um, how dare you? Yes. How dare you? Yeah, and then that leads us into the uh, museum scene, complete with the Prince music, yep. and the dancing, and the big boombox on the shoulder, like mm-hmm. the shades of the guy, like so iconic. Yeah, and apparently Burton was not a fan of this. Apparently, this was Peter's idea. Really? Yeah, which I'm not. Which I'm kind of not surprised 
but like also like <laughs> I, I I love the line, uh, gentlemen. Let's broaden our mind. Lawrence. <laughs> You might see. <laughs> I love it. And then Batman crashes in, saving Vicky as to get out of the museum. We see the OG Batmobile. Yes. I don't know. Like, you see that and you know it's Batman. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know. I, like, you, ju- you just know. Yeah. Well, first off, I don't think that thing's street legal. Yeah. Street, street, especially with the flying can. With the flying can. I'm just. Uh, yeah yeah you're breaking some laws there yeah, um yeah but no, you I, know I, I think they had to do it as dramatic as they did his suit because his suit you could not move as easily as he made the suit like he yeah. could move and but that, it was the same thing with the with the car the the had to be dramatic it had to be a symbol it had to be iconic enough that when people saw it on the street they're like holy crap i gotta go I, I know I, that car. Yeah, yeah. And also, speaking of the suit, like, um, this is kind of skipping a little bit because um, there's also a bit, like, where he launches his grappling guns. That was actually one of the first photos I ever saw for the movie. Like, yeah. where he launches his gun at, like, the uh, at the bridge and stuff. That was, like, one of the set photos. But speaking of about Keaton's suit, that suit must have been restrictive because it kind of shows with the fight scenes. Yeah. Yeah, but absolutely. He- I And... I can't stop thinking about like the headpiece and how the headpiece was so huge in comparison to like some that are now. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was very dramatic and less tactical. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I'm pretty sure it happened in this one, right? The makeup as well. Take Mm -hmm. off his like headpiece and where did your eye makeup go? Which, which, we're, which we're getting again with Pattinson, and I'm just like, yes, please. Let, let's bring let's bring back the makeup. Let's bring back makeup. Let's yeah, because let's be for real. If you take that off, your fluffy hair, Michael Keaton, is going to be plastered to your head. Like it's your, your makeup's going to be completely ruined and sweaty and smudgy. I I like look head <laughs> Batman has makeup remover wipes for sure. Who you think applies his eyeliner? I think Alfred probably did it in the beginning. Alfred probably did it in the beginning. And then he eventually like got like a really thick like stick and was like, "Ah, like a raccoon. (laughs) Get it done real fast. (laughs) I'm I'm having that image in my head and it's it's glorious. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like the eyepiece is so big that like he definitely has raccoon eyes every single batman ever um and it's wonderful i I like i just i I like watching if you guys like want to look it up like look up makeup in batman and like a uh, a gif or gif whatever way you say it and when he takes it off the makeup is gone the makeup would not be gone (laughs) like i want my makeup to be gone that quickly yeah i think most people do and also like um and we kind of follow in like a scene between um Joker and Bob, the henchman. And I was like, why does Joker keep destroying TVs? We don't have Bob probably is probably Bob was like inside. It's like, we don't have a budget for this. Yes. Where's the money coming from? Where did you get the money for the helicopter? Um the multiple TVs. I always find that to be so dramatic. And I always wonder, are TVs that easy to break like that? I don't think they are, but it's I, like when you see in the movies. People smacking each other with uh with wine glass 
glasses or like beer bottles, they don't break that easily. Yeah, no, they don't. They don't. They mm-hmm. don't at all. And it's, yeah. And like, I just, and also like, if it was that it's simple, like there would probably be like brain injuries and you would probably have glass stuck in your head. Oh my God. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I always think about those small technical things when I'm watching movies. I'm mm-hmm. like, how did you do that? That wouldn't actually be real. That glass is probably some sort of rubber or something like that to make sure that the cast doesn't get injured. Um, yeah, probably like, yeah. Candy. I think it's a candy glass or something that they use. Yeah. Anyways, and then we get these two glorious lines between Bruce and Joker. Then he had us. dance with the devil in the pale moonlight when he said that you want to get nuts let's get nuts like it was just a transformation i was like bruce you okay you good <laughs> and then joker is like you ever dance with the devil in pale moonlight boy and he's like oh blasted him away yeah i know i just i i love i love i love that scene and i think and honestly like when rewatching it i didn't i thought we had i because i known about that line but i thought we were gonna get that line later but I didn't know we were going to get those two lines at the same time. And it's just, oh, the way that Keaton performed it. And then, like, it, like and then, like, uh, Keaton's, like, he's kind of, like, showing me, and be like, you have a dance with Dylan the Pimp, right? It's, it's, I always ask that to my prey. Yes, I always ask that to all my prey. And then after that, we get the most controversial training in the movie. The scene where Nate Burstow's Joker kills Bruce's parents, which kind of deviates from the comics as Joe Chill. Now, I don't know. Um, how do you feel about it? Because personally, I'm in. I'm okay. I'm in the middle of this change. Um, I get why Burton Company did it as a kind of gave personal motivation for Keaton's Bruce, as well as kind of raises the stakes a bit. Yeah. But I also feel like they don't utilize it enough. How, how do you feel about it? I mean, uh, I'm not bothered by it. Comics are a fluid thing. And people that are like, oh, that's not canon. Um, there have been zombies in comic books, comic book canon, like people have had different iterations. Who cares if they wanted to do it for this one? Good for them. And it does give a motivation for this cycle. Like if you want to keep this movie just separate, um, the Joker created Batman and Batman created the Joker, like that line at the end. So eh, I'm okay Mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. And then there's the bit where Alfred shows Vicky Vale the Batcave, which isn't the worst change anymore, but it's ah. an iron fanboy so much they, they almost sent death threats to the screenwriter. And like, Wait, why? I don't know. And this is also just enough. Like, seriously, fuck anyone who sends death threats. And like, I yeah. Just, again, fanboys iron me so much. What in the world? Like, as someone who's still. Uh, I'm a writer and editor and all that stuff. Like I deal with fandom people all the time and just, I know fandom affects people and it like changes them and it makes them feel accepted and it makes them feel all these great and wonderful things. And these fanboys probably were just feeling like, damn, this thing that I love is, it's not there. Like, but you could be upset about something and not send death threats. Like when you send death threats, any excuse that you might've had before, I don't even care anymore uh you cross the line yeah yeah no you you cross the fucking line 
Yeah. And then we get into the climax of the movie with the parade and the bell tower. And it seems like this was the most changed century written of the entire movie. The first be- uh, that Robin was supposed to be in the sequence, as well as the fine Graysons, his parents, the fine Graysons and stuff. And like Joker was supposed to shoot his parents, John and Mary, which would later lead into um, Dick slash Robin um, being in full costume at the end. Um, this, yeah, which would have been interesting and stuff. And the second being that Knox was supposed to die when the gas got released. The third being that Joker originally shot down the bat when using a tank instead of a very long gun. The reason why was because they didn't want to find a tank. They didn't want to find <laughs> a, a, Joker, a Joker tank and stuff. A very long gun. Dear Lord. <laughs> and, then, and then finally there's when Joker takes Vicky up the bell tower. Originally, okay. So originally in the climax, the Joker was supposed to kill Vicky Vale, sending Batman into a vengeful fury with the Joker attempting to escape via helicopter, with the helicopter rousing a storm of bats who had been sleeping, sleeping in the rafters and ultimately engulfing Joker, who then falls to his death. Oh, that's so dark. Like, that's like the dark night. Dark. Yeah. yeah. And apparently John Peters reworked this climax without telling Burton. And commission um, Anton Fust uh, first to do to create a 38 foot, 12 meter model of the cathedral, which costs $100,000 when the film was already over budget. This sounds like an internal mess. There, I think there's a reason why for a while um, Burton like didn't like talk about it publicly. Yeah, because dealing, and I know we got a lot more creative freedom with with returns, but like. I yeah. would not be surprised if Peter, John fucking Peters. Yeah. John, I have a giant, giant spider fetish, Peter. Yeah! <laughs> I just, also for liability reasons, I'm not saying that he, had, yeah, he technically has one, but that is a joke. I'm just, <laughs> I, anyway, but yeah, no, so that is the film. We end the film off with uh, Bat, with Batman looking at his new symbol, the Danny Elfman score in the in the, in the background, and then we fade the credits. And I I love this movie and stuff. And now to get into some of the production history because it took a while for this movie to even get made. Really? Yeah. Like after spending several years trying to get Batman movie off the ground, executive producer Michael E. Uslan, who's been like executive producer on all the Batman movies post this, was able to convince Warrens to commission a draft. The first draft of this movie was written in 1980 by uh, Superman co-writer Tom Mankiewicz and told the stories of Batman. And told the story of Batman and Robin's origins. The villains were Joker and the Penguin. The love interest was Silver St. Cloud. And some of the plot elements were taken from the 1978 comic serial uh, Strange Apparitions, written by Steve Englehart. At the end, Robin was supposed to appear in costume, much like Batman Forever. And the film was going to be released in 1985 with a budget of $20 million. But Uslan and and co-producer Ben uh, Melnicker got booted off the project. And it was shelved until Piers and Goober picked it up. And in the interim, several filmmakers were attached. And I and I didn't know about this. The, sadly, very sadly, recently departed Ivan Reitman, may he rest in peace, and yeah. Steven Spielberg. When Reitman, really? wanted, when Reitman wanted to do a... Yeah, he wanted to do a comedic take with Bruce... Bill Murray as Batman and Eddie Murphy as Robin. Wait, what? I don't, I, I don't know. I, I think he just wanted to work with these two. Especially given that, like, it probably would have been like af- right after Ghostbusters came out. Yeah. And then, like, and then, and then Spielberg wanting to do, um, wanting to do a much more straightforward take with Harrison Ford, and this cast is insane. Harrison Ford is Batman, Michael J. Fox is Robin, Tim Curry as the Joker, Dustin Hoffman as the Penguin, Gene Davis as Silver St. Cloud, 
John Petrie, uh, uh, Perry as Alfred Pennyworth, Burt Reynolds as Commissioner James Gordon, Martin Sheen as Harvey Dent, and Richard Dreyfuss as Rupert Thorne. That movie would have been lit. Yes. That would have been snatched to a T. Whoa. I mean, we got Harris. I mean, Harrison Ford, yes, is Batman, but also Michael J. Fox as Robin. That is perfect casting. Like, I'm just thinking about Tim Curry. Tim, Tim Curry. Curry is iconic and just has done so much good work in his career. He's so dynamic. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I'm, to be honest, I'm also a little scared of Tim Curry. Oh my God, for sure. Absolutely. Weird chestering grin and stuff. And I just, oh. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Whoa. But yeah. Anyways, but in 1985, after the surprise success of PB's Pee-wee's, um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the studio offered the job to Tim Burton, but despite not having any familiarity with the comics, as Bruce Burton had dyslexia, which made him unable to read comic books, especially mm. like the word bubbles. Yeah. He, so he read the Manquist draft, but he was unsatisfied with it. So him and his then-girlfriend, Julie Hentney, wrote a 30-page treatment of the project, which was approved by the producers of the studio. And then in 86, uh, Burton met Sam Hamm, uh, a screenwriter who just received a two-year contract with, with, with Warner Brothers, and gave him the job of writing a screenplay based on Burton's and Hickman's treatment. However, the writing process stretched too long, and Han couldn't write further drafts of the script because of the 1988 writer strike. Which, because of that, um, War, um, he Burton got um, Warren Stackerin, his Beetlejuice co-writer, to uh, write into filming, and then the rest is kind of history and stuff. The, we made over 411.6 million dollars, and God knows how much in merchandise. Especially ah. in the goddamn 80s. For real. Like I, I like I look at like some of the merchandise stuff and I'm like, Jesus Christ. I mean and- more in the 90s, if anything, because it was this was 1989. It was the tail end of the 80s, but the merchandise and the popularity of it, definitely early 90s was just boom. Probably some of the seasons were probably like raining down money. And for real. And and just without this movie. And just the influence of this movie alone, which I, I didn't mention in the show notes, but like I'm this movie influenced a lot of things. Like, cause up until that point, we only had like Superman the movie. Yeah. We only had Superman the movie. And this was before, you know, the MCU, before Marvel, before even Nolan in the Dark Knight trilogy. And without this movie, we would have none of that. Yeah. And this movie, okay. and, yeah. And we like, oh, like insane debt to Burton and company as well to Burton and company and just to this movie because this movie started things. Yeah, it really did. It set the stage for people in Hollywood understanding that superheroes can make bank. And bank, they have made, just if you think about the movies that are coming out now and how it's transformed into being an everyday thing. Because, you know, in... The 80s, it was very much seen as this geek thing that only nerds would be into. And now this is just like mainstream goodness, uh, even though I'm not okay with the Marvel Universe right now. Um, but like, it, it, it's everywhere and it, it's it's mainstream for sure. And it started because of movies like the 1989 Batman um, 
So, yeah, even if you don't like it, even if it's cheesy, even if you've never watched it um, or you were thrown off by the classic trailer that is available on YouTube. They have a classic trailer that is the worst thing I've ever seen. It is so bad. It doesn't even have like an epic voiceover. Yeah. Um, You should check it out. Yeah. Apparently that was like a rush job and they sent it to a, a, a theater. Like I think it's like Westwood, California. And it like the the fans, the, everyone went ecstatic. Because up until that point, I think, like people doubted. Like yeah. when I was doing 90 Reuters, a lot of people doubted Keaton. Yeah, I bet. In the same manner that people doubted Heath. And the same manner that people doubt Robert Pattinson. Mm. Doubt everywhere. We got to yeah. give people chances. Glad but, people gave Michael a chance. I, I really I really am. And I, I really am. Because I think Michael Keaton, like he's not my favorite Batman. He's not yeah. my favorite Batman. But I think he definitely set the standard. Very curious to see what they're going to do with him in the Ezra Miller Flash movie, which I am. Right. I, 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 oh, fuck. Sorry. It just hit me that this will continue on into the Flash movie that's coming out soon. And not gonna lie, uh, okay. I'm not even excited for the Flash movie. I'm not. I'm, I'm not it. either. I'm, I'm not gonna either. watch it because of a Latina. Oh yeah, uh, girl. Uh, no, Sa- Supergirl. Sasha Kelly has. Um, but yeah, Sa- no. I think I want to watch for Sasha and then for Keaton. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, and but, then yeah, and then Iris. I don't know the person. Uh, I think it's. I think they brought, they they brought back Kelsey Clements. Okay. So, so there's that. Movie is awesome, and I do love its production design. And overall, I just this this is a great. I I do think that this is a Jimmy. As much as I have a little bit of gripes with Nicholson at times, I do think that this is a good movie. Yeah. I, I think it's I a agree. Good movie. movie. I agree. It's it's different, and like as people do preparation for the new Batman. Yes. You yeah. should check this movie out in your because I know people are gonna sit down and they're gonna watch the previous Batmans to get themselves hyped. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are gonna get yourself hyped for Robert Pattinson's um the Batman, definitely watch Batman 1989 to get yourself ready, you know? Yeah, yeah, and definitely, and I do recommend and I do recommend that because we get this movie at least at the time of this recording. Get this movie soon and like oh, oh. <laughs> yes let's go anyways yeah. and that is the end of our special episode on Nike 89 Batman Lyra thank you for coming on I had a thank glorious you. time just chatting thank you for with having you. me <laughs> you're, welcome. you're welcome you're welcome um where can people find you uh, you can find me at, I mainly use Twitter at The Alt Source. Um, my work is at Remezcla, Fangirlish, Ten of Geek. Uh, but yeah, come over if you've watched the movie, The New Batman. Let's chat. I'm down. Yeah. Uh, you can also find our back catalog on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and every podcast you listen to. And yeah, see y'all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.